0: 56th Psalm tonight and they're short psalm 57 58 are short ones we don't know how far we'll get but we'll we've prepared those three in case we get that far but this is a 56 is a second golden Psalm we call it this Psalm is similar to the 16th and this shows us David's uh, complaint here in the first verses and he's uh, complaining about the oppression that he has daily with the enemies around about him and giving him trouble and problems. Before we read the psalm itself, it might be, well, if we read 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 through 12. 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 through 12, and see uh, why David was uh, crying out for mercy and for help, because this is what he was facing. 1 Samuel uh, 21, verse 10 says, And David arose and fled that day for the fear of Saul, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? In other words, he was surprised that David was in such a condition as we find here. And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Aches the king of Gath. So he he was uh, in trouble. He was afraid of all those that were around about him and his enemies were numerous. And can you hear through this mic all right? Everyone here, Okay. Can everyone hear through the mic? Okay. So we find that David had many enemies at this particular time. If you look in uh, Psalm 56, we'll find in the very first verse uh, his uh, complaint about his enemies. He says, Be merciful unto me, O God, for a man would swallow me up He fighting daily oppresseth me. Now this mercy was needed because of David's enemies. And the persistence of his enemies is showing that it says, He fighteth daily oppresseth me. He fighting daily oppresseth me. In fact, in the second verse, mine enemies would daily swallow me up. Twice in verse 1 and 2, daily is mentioned. So they were very persistent. Sometimes our enemies are very persistent, especially the devil that works against us. Uh, Peter says be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour so we have to be alert be sober be vigilant that means to be wide awake to be alert as to our enemies you notice again verse 2 says uh, mine enemies would daily swallow me up for they be many that fight against me he just O thou most high Uh, we find that he had many enemies they were numerous they were like a pack of wolves and they gang up on the one victim. You know, Paul speaks of the to the Ephesian church and he says, After my departure shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. That happens many times and Paul was charging the Ephesian elders in the twentieth chapter of the book of Acts concerning the fact that after his departure these things would happen. He was forewarning them. And a lot of times the enemies become they they They're multiplied. They're very numerous. Then I want you to notice, uh, beginning with verse 3, David's confidence. We we saw his complaint in verses 1 and 2. But look at his confidence. He says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. The antidote to fear is trust in God. And you know, all men have this in common. Fear is common to all men. We like to say we do not fear, but there are many times that we do fear. We're told to fear not. But we become afraid of various things. First Peter chapter three. Let me read a verse to a scripture here. In First Peter chapter three, verses thirteen and fourteen, uh, Peter says, "And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But and uh, but and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror; neither be troubled. Be not afraid of their terror." Peter tells us not to be afraid. The Bible tells us not to be afraid. David says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. The Bible tells us that perfect love casteth out fear. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And if we're made perfect in love or more mature in love, we have a complete trust. would be well if we all had that kind of trust that we would not fear, wouldn't it? And then it says here in verse uh, 4, In God I will praise His word. In God... I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Notice, trust in God leads to to praise. In God I will praise, and I will praise His Word. In God I have put my trust. Hebrews 13, verse 6 says, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Let me read for you in Isaiah 31, Isaiah 31, and verse 3. It says, Now the Egyptians are men, and not God, and their horses flesh, and not spirit. The enemies of Israel were flesh. They were not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helpeth shall fall, and he that is hopeless shall fall down, and they all shall fail together. So uh, Isaiah is saying that they're flesh. Just like David said back here in Psalm 56, I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Now look at verse 5. It says, Every day they rest my words... All their thoughts are against me for evil. Every day they rest my words. You know what the word it means to twist them. Twist. The enemies of God twist God's words. How many times have you heard uh, Christians' words twisted to mean something that they didn't intend? Someone says, well, that you know, he claims to be a Christian. They go to that church and, you know, they said, and they say, part of what you said and the preachers, they do the same thing. I heard our preachers say, well, did you tell what he said before it and after? It? Did you really put it out there squarely as he did? Or did you take a little uh, statement that he made and take it out of its context and twist it around and say, the preacher said? How many times has that been done? It's done in the political world, but it's done in the religious world as well, where people just take a little bit of it and The psalmist says, Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. If you want to find evil in someone's words, you can just pick and choose and pick out here and there and find evil in in the way they do and in their words. It's up to you to take the whole instead of just a part and and check out the whole statement. Make sure that you don't misunderstand what is being said. And sometimes, uh, even as pastors or preachers or teachers, we use illustrations that have nothing to do to, uh, with being derogatory about anyone, but to merely make a point and to express a difference of opinion and to show both sides of the matter. And then someone will take that, You know, Brother Joe said this about so-and-so. Well, you know, you can make it that way if you want to. But my heart is not to criticize people and get on them and be, make it evil about them. And so, people's words can be twisted. Uh, uh, Peter tells us that they took the words of Paul and they rest to their own destruction. They wrest the scriptures to their own destruction. They twist them to their own destruction. Peter, quoting the Apostle Paul and telling that his words were divinely inspired, and I can give you the passage, but we won't take time to turn to it now, but he says, as they do also other scriptures which they rest to their own destruction. And people rest or twist the Scriptures, and it comes back on them. A river of evil has a way of flowing right back to its beginning. If it starts with you, it can flow back to you. If that evil starts out from you, you better be careful, because the water may run back and it make it circle, and you may receive it again. They gather themselves together, they hide themselves, they mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Look, they're all together, they conspire against me, he's saying, they hide themselves, they mark my steps, they watch every move I make, and they're waiting for my soul when they wait for my soul. That's the uh, character and the counsel and the plan and the schemes of those that oppose God's people as they oppose David. In verse 7, and he had enemies that opposed him. Verse 7 says, Shall they escape by iniquity? That's a question. In thine anger, cast down the people, O God. You know, the wicked will not go unpunished. In Proverbs 11, let me read this for you. Proverbs 11, verse uh, <clears throat> excuse me, 21 says, Though hand joined in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. God says that the wicked have it coming. That there is a judgment day for them, that they shall not go unpunished, though hand-joined in hand is just as sure as everything that they shall not go unpunished. In verse 8 it says, Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle, are they not in thy book? God know, knew about David's wandering. God knows about our wanderings and about our trials. David knew the Lord was concerned about all of his trials. In Psalm 103 verse 14 it says for he knoweth our frame he remembereth that we are dust God knows that we're weak he remembers that we're he knoweth our frame he remembers that we are dust he knows man's weakness he's concerned about all of our trials put thou my tears into thy bottle the bottle in the old testament was a really a skin that was made to it says Jesus uses that and says no uh, the you do not put uh, old wine into new bottles, or new wine into old bottles. He says in the New Testament, a new patch on an old piece of cloth, lest the rent is made worse. And he was really talking about bottles that were made of, of skins, usually of goats, and that's what it refers to. And David says, "I want my tears stored up, and my supplications, my prayers." And he says, "Are they not in thy book? God records things." It's in his book, the book of Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16 says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. God says he put it down in a book of remembrance. Sometimes you think all that we say and do And our fear and our service for God and our reverence for God and speaking of God, they spake often one to another, is all forgotten. God has it all on record. And he says that a book of remembrance was... The Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before Him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon His name. And he says further in verse 17, "...and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my jewels." And I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. They'll be mine. So we have the promise of God's, the fact that God records all of these things in his book. Old Job of Old says, Oh, that my words were now written in the book. And Job, I have news for you, they are. Everything, he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and they're written in the book of God. He said that they were graven with an iron pen, uh, Upon in lead upon the rock forever he says I wish they were just graven in so they'd never be lost they were written in a book and God wrote them in the book and it was uh, when Job exclaimed oh I know that my Redeemer liveth that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth and though after my skin worms destroy this body yet in my flesh shall I see God he knew there would be a resurrection whom I shall behold for myself and not another and Job Really, probably was the first book of the Bible in chronological order. Could have been back in Genesis, at least in the time. Though we find it uh, in our Bible uh, with the poetical books, because there were certain things that they didn't have in the days of Job that were already in existence in the Moses day and other days. And uh, Job was rather an old time. But we find there's a lot of of this dispute about that or as to the time of Job chronologically but we won't go into all those disputes all we know is that we do have his words recorded and then we find something else David's confidence enabled him to pray with faith look at verse 9 when I cry unto thee then shall mine enemies turn back uh, this I know for God is for me God is for me He could cry out to God with confidence. He could cry out to God effectually. When I cry unto thee, James says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He said his enemies would be turned back. He says, This I know, for God is for me. The Bible says, If God be for us, who can be against us? The Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please him, that he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. And David prayed in faith, and he prayed effectually, and he prayed knowing that God was for him. If we know God is for us, we have great confidence. In verse 10, in God will I praise his word. David's gratitude for his answered prayer. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. That's gratitude. Remember, Jesus speaks of the ten lepers that were cleansed. And he said, one that was a Samaritan came back to give thanks. And Jesus said, were there not ten that were cleansed? And he said, where are the nine? One out of ten gives thanks. Let's at least not be with the nine. Let's be that one out of ten that will at least thank God. We can always show thanks for what God has done for us. Be grateful. I'm grateful every day for life, for health, for strength. Well, I'd like for everything to be better. Most of us would. But uh, we can't have everything just exactly like we want it. I used to think that maybe we could, but we can't. And I found out that everyone doesn't see everything like you and I think they ought to see it. And everyone doesn't do like we think they ought to do. But maybe we don't do exactly like they think we ought to do either. (laughs) Probably we don't. But on the other hand, let's do the best we can and serve the Lord and get along with one another and and, uh, trust God and thank God, at least thank God for the blessings that we do enjoy and maybe He'll see fit in His mercy and grace and love to to give us more blessings along the way. In verse 11, In God have I put my trust, I will not be afraid of what man can do unto me. Again, you have his confidence is renewed. God had delivered him. In verse 13, let's look at, and we'll come back on verse 12, but look. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, wilt, wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling? He trusted that God would deliver and had delivered him. And David's confidence renewed was renewed because of his recent deliverance. So look at verse uh, 11 again. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. So evidently God had, Uh, brought him out of this situation and he was trusting in God for further help. But look in verse uh, uh, 11 now, I mean verse uh, 12 now. Thy vows are upon me, O God, I will render praises unto thee. You know, a lot of times uh, in weakness we make vows in times of trouble and then we forget to keep them after we're delivered, after we're helped. David remembered his vows to the Lord. It's not a bad thing to to tell God that if he, by his grace, he will deliver you from something or help you with some situation. You will pay your vows or you keep your promise uh, to him in being faithful or rededication or whatever it is. But it is a bad thing to do it without thinking about keeping it. So if you make any vow, make sure you'll pay it. Let let me read for you in the book of... um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4 in particular, says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. When you vow vow to God, defer not to pay it, for ye hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. It's better not to make God a promise if you don't intend to keep it. You read this whole passage just real good. Look at verse 1. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Now to keep your foot, you keep your mouth. Look at the next verse. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. See, be not rash with thy mouth. It says, For God is in heaven, and thou art on earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through a multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. When thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not by mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. That's why it says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. By keeping your mouth, you keep your foot. See? Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. In other words, I didn't really mean it. I didn't intend uh, for that to be the case. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? So there's a whole lot on vows there and how that we're responsible for anything that we tell God we'll do. We better be obedient and faithful in doing it. And verse, uh, back in our Psalm 56. Now look at verse... uh, 13 again, For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling? Sure. That I may walk before God in the in the light of the living. David not only wanted protection and safety, but he wanted to live a life that would bring glory to God. If David needed divine aid to live a consecrated life, how much more do we? So do we. It's only as we walk upright that we uh, become a light uh, to the living, that I may walk, it says, will walk before God in the light of the living. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Look at Psalm 57 quickly. Again David complains of his dangerous case and he encourages himself to praise God. Sometimes we have to encourage ourselves. It's a prayer for mercy and deliverance. In Psalm 57, and you could read again 1 Samuel chapter 21, 22 especially. And here's an urgent plea for mercy. He says, "Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful unto me." In other words, he doesn't he doesn't just say it one time. It doesn't mean that the added repetition of the word makes it more likely that it will be heard, but it does show the sincerity of his desire. Be merciful, God, be merciful. He shows that it was an urgent plea for mercy. Jesus says we need not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, because they just repeat, 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 over and over and over again, a multitude of times. But in this case, it doesn't apply, because all David was asking for here was mercy in a very urgent way. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpast. He knew that God was a place of refuge. In Psalm 17, verse 8, it says, Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. This says, In the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. Until these calamities be overpassed, we're hidden under the shadow of His wings. In the Book of Ruth, the second chapter, Ruth chapter two. I want you to look at verses eleven and twelve. And when Ruth comes to the field of Boaz, it says, "And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law." That was Naomi since. the the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother, and he's talking to Ruth of what she's done for her mother-in-law, how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. She was a stranger there. In fact, Ruth was a Moabitess, if you remember, one of a cursed race, and yet she was one that was finding mercy and grace in the sight of Boaz, and then it says, verse 12, I want you to look at verse 12. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. You see that again? Under whose wings. That's what David was saying. What did the psalm say? It says, in the, back in Psalm 57, verse 1, Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. It said to, uh, to Ruth, Under whose wings thou art come to trust. The God of Israel, Under whose wings thou art come to trust. Have we come to trust under the wings and protection, the protection of God? I won't have time to go into it, but we all know the story of the Passover lamb. And we sing this, uh, the song that uh, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. But there's a certain element of the Passover we, don't, we do not always get on the surface. And you have to look up a reference. I believe the reference is either in Isaiah or Jeremiah. I won't have time to go into it as I said. But it means that passing over, he will hover over to protect you from that, calam- that judgment of death. It doesn't mean that he will just pass over when he sees the blood. But passing over, he will hover over and protect the firstborn of that house as he did in Israel. And there's an element that you do not see on the surface unless you study it out. And that's what I wanted to give you. And uh, passing over, pass over, hover over, protect, overshadow. And so it says here, Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. It's kind of like when Moses was told that he would be hidden in the cleft of the rock while God's glory passeth by. In other words, he would be protected. He would be overshadowed. He would be under the wing of God. Under whose wings will I make my refuge or come to trust, as in the case of of uh, Ruth, until these cla- calamities be overpassed. You see how uh, David here in Psalm 57 verse 1 ties it in with the thought that God is going to overshadow uh, him and protect him and he's going to find a refuge until all these calamities be overpassed. And that would be have the same... Uh, uh, relationship and uh, reference as you would find concerning the Passover lamb and that God would hover over until that calamity or until that time of judgment upon Israel, the judgment of the firstborn, be overpassed. Now then, verse 2, he says, "...I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me." He not only knew that God was a, a God of refuge. And he could uh, find a place of refuge in the shadow of his wings, but he knew that it was a cry unto him who performeth all things. The ability of God to perform. The Bible says he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Is God able to deliver? Certainly he's able. I will cry unto God most high unto God that performeth all things for me. Remember when Abraham... It's told of Abraham in Romans 4, verse 21. Abraham believed God. It says he, he uh, uh, believed that God was also able to perform. That is, give him a son or a child in his old age. And he, he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He believed that God, what God had said, he was able also to perform. In Numbers 23, verse 19, let me read this for you. It says, God is not man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? God is able to perform, isn't he? If God has spoken it, he's able to bring it to pass. Now look at verse 3. When I say that, look at your psalm, verse 3. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Now what? He shall sin from heaven. God shall sin. Two times. Notice in verse 3. He shall sin. And then the latter part, God shall sin forth his mercy and his truth. David knew that God would sin. And his prayer was a prayer of faith. He says, He shall do it. The Bible says, He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. In verse 4, it shows why David needed divine aid. Look at verse 4. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Some men act more like animals than human beings. In Jeremiah 51, verse 38, it says, They shall roar together like lions. In Revelation 13, verse 11, it says, Another beast arose... Up out of the earth. and We find beastly creatures that come against God's people. We find them in the future as well as in the past. They're spoken of in that manner. Verse 5. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. David wants God exalted. Verse 6 says, They have prepared a net for my steps. Look here. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me. Into the midst, whereof they sh- they are fallen themselves. Selah. you see what we're talking about—the methods that are used by the enemy. The same methods—they dig a pit before you. David says they they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me in in the midst, in, into the midst, whereof they are fallen themselves. You ever try to set a trap for someone else, you may be setting it for yourself. In the Proverbs it says, the stone that a fellow rolls, sometimes it will return and fall on his own pay or on his own head. Right? You you never know. When you throw a stone at someone else, it may boomerang come back and hit you. You better be careful when you start throwing rocks. And uh, furthermore, we've seen it in the Bible. Remember old Haman, he prepared a gallows for Mordecai, didn't he? And finally, when everything reversed, well, Mordecai had the authority and and the king said, go hang him on the gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. He was hanged upon the the own gallows, the own place for the hanging of Mordecai the Jew, and Haman was hanged there himself. You know, as we said earlier, the river of evil sometimes flows right back to the source. So don't ever think you'll get by with it. And that's an attitude of character. Heart uh, shows the kind of person that you are. When you want to do someone else evil, you better be careful. You may have to suffer it yourself. The Bible says that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Exactly that kind. In the book of Judges, it tells of a certain king that they cut off his thumbs and his great toes, his big toes. And it says, it told how many kings that he had done the same way. And finally, that's what happened to him. You know, it returned back the very same thing that he had done was done back to him. Every once in a while, we wake up and say, "You know, I didn't know this was going to happen to me." And you look back and say, "Well, maybe I caused this to happen to someone else. Maybe, maybe this is just my chickens coming home to roost because they do. They absolutely will. Don't ever think they won't. It's the same as the law of harvest. If you plant wheat, you're going to get wheat. If you plant oats, you're going to get oats." Oats. You, plant it. you have an apple tree, it's going to have apples, it's not going to have peaches or pears on it, it's going to have apples. It says, whose seed is in itself. I ate a little piece of seedless watermelon. They're not seedless. They claim to be, but there's little white seeds in there. And if they were seedless, you'd never have another. You couldn't have another. Louis says, can you plant these seeds and they grow? I said, no, they're seedless. <laughs> But God says that everything whose seed is in itself. That's where these atheists and unbelieving guys get off and they think, oh yeah. But you know, man, he came from a a monkey or something. other. And you know, we find that uh, uh, all seeds were the same at the beginning. God said every seed after his kind. He said he made apple trees, he made pear trees, he made peach trees, he made the fig trees, he made all kinds of different things. And you don't find them A man has tried to graft in and do things, and he's done things in that way, but there still was a source, and there was the seed before it ever happened. And everything was made after his kind. And he made the cattle, he made all the animals, and they were made animals. They were not just one kind of animal, and we all evolved from that one particular animal, as the theories would have you, evolution theories would have you to believe. Do you think the dinosaurs that are extinct now, and uh, all the things that are in existence now, and uh, mankind, and all of us, all creation, and all animal life came from just one kind of a a seed? If you can believe that, that stretches your imagination a lot further than taking God's word for it, doesn't it? It sure does mine. I can't see how we could all turn out that different if we all started from some source or another and turn out that different as far as creatures are concerned. When you see these, the Discovery Channel, you'll you see, and a lot of you watch that, it's real interesting to see all the kind of creatures upon this earth, some you never dreamed of. I mean, they are all kinds, aren't they? And to think that they all came from one little nucleus, one little source that stretches the imagination beyond belief I don't see how anyone can believe that and Dr. Carl Sagan he was on a certain program the other night boy he he doesn't believe anything except science and I don't know how much of that he believes boy he can tell you where the sun, moon and stars and everything came from from a certain blast that happened 150 billion years ago or maybe 500 billion years ago and tell you what happened but I don't think he's that smart he thinks he's really smart, that he knows what you listen to him more. He's atheistic in mind, doesn't believe in Christianity, doesn't believe in the, theory, the, the doctrines of grace, he doesn't believe in the, uh, the biblical account of creation. There's a lot of people who don't believe that. Where were we? Psalm 57, and where were we? Down there it says uh, in verse uh, 7. Okay, that'll be next, I guess. It says, in, My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing pray, and, sing and give praise. My heart is fixed. When you think of that, that's the steadfastness. Do you ever become fixed in your belief in your faith and in the things of God? We should be fixed. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You'll have people that will contradict you You'll have those that will ridicule you. You'll have those that will differ with you. And you always have differences of opinion. But uh, Daniel said, and uh, the three Hebrew children said, if God will not deliver us, we will not serve thy gods, even if we're not delivered. Remember the threat was that they were going to be cast into the fiery furnace? said, unless you bow down and worship our gods, well, you'll be cast... The, into the burning fire furnace, and three Hebrew children said, "Never mind. If God, if it's God's will, He'll deliver us. And if not, we still will not bow down and serve thy gods." Says, "If we go through the furnace, we're not going to serve your gods." Some of say, "If God will deliver us, we'll not serve." But on the other hand, can we say if God doesn't deliver us, we still won't serve their gods? It's been said they wouldn't bow or bend or burn. They didn't do either, did they? And they came out. With all they had. They didn't even have the smell of fire upon their clothing. Can you imagine going through fire without the smell of smoke or fire on your clothing at all when you come out? And nothing was burned. And the fourth man that walked with them was likened to the Son of God, it says. So, if God is with us, the steadfastness of David, my heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. We can praise God and sing praises to Him for all the goodness He's shown to us. Awake up. My glory, awake softly and harp. I myself will awake early. What David is saying here, he's saying, I want my spirit to be revived. He, it's as if his spirit had gone asleep and his praise had gone asleep. He says, Awake up, my glory, awake softly and harp." They've been silent. He says, I myself will awake early. I'm going to bestir myself. We need often to stir up our spirit to be more zealous for the Lord. It says David encouraged himself in the Lord back in in Samuel It says he encouraged himself in the Lord. The Bible says, Stir up the gift of God, Paul told Timothy, which is in you. Peter says, I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And he says, As long as I'm in this tabernacle, I'm going to stir you up and bring things to your remembrance. Peter's telling that. 2 Peter 1 verse 13 and chapter 3 verse 1. Colossians 3 verse 23 says, What we do, let us do it heartily as to the Lord. Heartily. Look at verse 10. It says, For thy mercy is great unto the heavens and thy truth unto the clouds. The greatness of God's mercy and truth. It reaches to the heaven and to the clouds. And then the last verse says, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let Let thy glory be above all the earth. The gratitude expressed by David. We need to express gratitude to the Lord for every blessing.